In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room In this very room As we move into our prayer, I want to share with you an ancient blessing of acknowledgement. We are immersed in a smoke of spirit, whether we realize it or not. Oh, God is everywhere present. And so it reads as follows. To the universal supreme God, to my respected spiritual teacher, to all the spiritual teachers, to all the holy masters, to all the holy angels, to all the saints, spiritual helpers, all the great ones, to my higher soul, my divine self, thank you for your divine blessings. Thank you. And so what I acknowledge in this moment, I invite you to acknowledge with me, speaking in the I am, because at the, that spiritual level, at that quantum field, there is only one of us, individualized expressions of that one. And so I affirm and know I recognize that presence in and through and as me, all that surrounds me and supports me. I open my intuition, my heart, my awareness, my intelligence, and every cell of my body to that experience. And so I'm available to that which is seeking me. There is something always present, but many times I'm not present for it. Well, in this moment I am. And so I just give thanks beforehand for an incredibly uplifting, informative, and valuable period of time that I spend with my higher wisdom self in this. I came to the community and I'm here today to hear the music, to hear the message, to enjoy the fellowship. But at the end of the day, it is truly to listen to myself. And so I know in between the words and the notes and the thoughts, there is something that is informing, resourcing, enlivening, and finding love in and through and as myself. For this I give thanks. Release these words in gratitude and appreciation, standing in eager expectation of something amazing and awe-inspiring for no good reason. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Well, good morning. Awesome. Let's uh, do our ritual that we've been doing over the last few weeks that uh, I think is kind of fun because it shifts the energy. So I'm going to invite you to stand up. And I know that most of you came with someone. If you didn't, then you're going to find somebody to do this with. But I'm going to invite you to stand up and find a partner. A, th- a threesome is okay, too. A threesome is okay, and a foursome is okay. But you have somebody. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is say, look what God has created as you look at that person. Look what God has created. Thank you for being here. 
Thank you for taking form on this planet. You have love to share. You have gifts to share. You have power to reveal. And you have potential to fulfill. Let's make the world a better place. Thank you. You can give them a hug if you feel so inclined. <clears throat> Beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's a powerful, that's actually a spiritual practice. That's a spiritual practice that is so powerful. Even if you're by yourself, you can look in the mirror and do that. But what it does is it acknowledges the truth of our being. Because so much of the world tells us that we're not that. But it is the truth of our being. That we have come here. We are the individualized waves in the ocean of God. And so to acknowledge the God part of us that lives within us and around us and through us, it, and, and to come in agreement with it is very powerful and to speak our words out loud. So thank you for doing that because it shifts the whole energetic of this environment. And it makes us available to something perhaps more interesting and more creative. So last week we talked about um, discovering one's passion. And today is about playing in one's passion. And the reason that that's, uh, I think, valuable and important is because when we... It's, it's spiritual practice to find out what our gifts are and our talents are. Because when we identify those and we start to move in that direction and we start to, to develop that so we can share that, we're actually tapping into what the infinite vibration intended for us. But we may think it's different. We may think it's uh, something that uh, uh, is exclusive of that. So today, we're going to look at playing in the, in the discovery Picture the kids up there running across the field. And some of the limitations that, that restrict us playing in a discovery. Because the world will tell us a lot of things about ourselves that just, as I said, aren't true. One of the ideas is perfectionism. This idea that I can't get started until everything is in, everything is in right order, until I airbrush everything perfectly, and then I've got all the classes, and I've got all the credentialing, and I've got all the information, and then I'll be ready. And as my teacher used to say to me years ago, if you wait till you're ready, you're never going to do it. Because a lot of the great people and a lot of the great things that have happened on this planet, people didn't feel ready, but they still did it because they were called. And to answer the call of our own life is so important. So perfectionism, thinking that we can only start with airtight credentials, airbrushed opportunities, or the ideal schedule. As soon as I have enough time, I'll do it, whatever that may be. Perfectionism holds us back. And what it tells us, many, a lot of people, the story we tell ourselves is, well, it's because I have such high standards. I have such high standards. You don't have standards, you have issues. <laughs> but you might think they're standards. They're just an excuse. And the only way to move forward what I, that I want to share with you today is through the idea of mercy. Someone asked me, what the heck does mercy mean? I've never heard anybody in this teaching talk about mercy. And mercy is about having a, a kindness and a forgiveness of self and others that frees our energy. The only reason to, to, to practice forgiveness is because forgiveness just keeps us stuck. People do stuff to us all the time and we get upset. They don't have a clue most of the time. They're off doing their thing. And then we can stand there and let, it's like holding a hot rock and thinking that we're burning them when we're just burning ourselves up. But this idea that, that 
to move forward with mercy for ourselves, for others, a generosity, a grace, understanding it's just life. I mean, the reality is, guys, we got eternity to get this right. But not one thought, not one second to waste. And so mercy, passion, identifying with what our inherent gifts are. Ken Robinson calls it the element, when our, in, our inherent gifts align with our passion. And then also taking the steps moving forward in faith. I mean, that's what, if, we, if we got it knocked, if we know at the beginning what's going to happen, it's kind of boring anyway. That's why faith is required many times. I'd like to do this. I'm called to this. But I don't know. Yeah. So... Tama uh, Keeves in her great book, Inspired and Unstoppable, I've been using a bit of her book this month, and it's a great book. And she's, uh, She was uh, going to Brooklyn College, and her dad was an attorney. And no one from Brooklyn College had ever been in, in, uh, enrolled or, or uh, allowed into Harvard Law School. In the history of the world, no one had ever made it from Brooklyn College. And so she went to her counselor at Brooklyn College and said, I'd really like to apply at Harvard Law. And he said, you don't have a chance. Forget it. There's no, never been anybody from Brooklyn College that's got in there. In fact, the only ones that have gotten in from Brooklyn College are because of affirmative action, which is a government program that certain, takes certain people of a designation and says, you've got to have these people in your program. And so she went home and she told her dad, and her dad was an attorney. And she uses all these Yiddish words with her dad, which is quite, you know, interesting and, uh, and fun to read. And her dad just said, Apply. What's your problem? And she said, well, the experts say I can't get in. And he says, experts, experts, apply. And she said, but dad, you don't know what I've just heard. And she says, dad, I don't care what you just heard. Fill out the application and send it in and I'll pay for it. I'll write the check for the application. So she said they had chicken that night for, for dinner and the application was on the table and it got full of chicken grease. She said, oh, this is great. I'm sending my application into Harvard Law covered with chicken grease. This should go well. So she said the next day she folded it up, put it in the envelope, sent it to the admissions office at Harvard Law. And lo and behold, she got a letter back about a month later that said, welcome to Harvard Law. They had changed the admission requirements that year. You know, and her dad stood there and said, I told you. There you go. And then she, she published her book. She had uh, her first book was... Uh, uh, I can't pull a name up, but her first book was published, and she went to the Aspen Writers Conference. And while she was there, this publisher got up and said to everyone, all these authors, some that are not yet published authors and others that had been, and she had been, and he said, if your book doesn't do well in the first six months, we just punt. It ain't going to happen. And she said it was like everybody had, everybody had their manuscript metaphorically held to their chest like this valuable china plate. And he walked over to the window on the 10th floor and flung it out the window. You know, you could see everybody kind of go white with this, ah. And she said what she realized is that it wasn't so much his choice of words, but it was how he said it. And he said it in a tone that, that reflected the know-it-all, this is reality, this is the only reality tone. It was a dominance that made belief seem like a lapse in sound judgment and faith seemed impotent and desperate. So in other words, well, however, however much hope she had in it, forget it. Because if it doesn't do well in six months, it's a waste of time. And she said, this is the dark God. This is the black magic that the world's full of. People will say, you can't, you don't. Why bother? And yet there's something alive in all of us, I think, 
that wants to fulfill what our purpose is, our soul's purpose. And we know it, a lot of times we see it as kids, it's part of what we are, it's part of our DNA. To have a belief that you have an inspired source within you. That something amazing is always present, but we are not always present. I have a slide of these two little girls that are hopping in there, they're entering the stream. As Thomas says, it doesn't matter where you enter the stream or when you enter the stream. The only thing that matters is you've got to enter the stream. You've got to get in. You've got to participate and start wherever you are and make the move. There's a wonderful story about Matt Groening. Matt Groening is a, probably don't know the name, but you will by the time I, I, I finish the story. But Matt Groening's father was a cartoonist and a filmmaker. And Matt grew up as a kid, and he would just play with dinosaurs and figurines, and he was always making up stories, and he didn't really care about school. And, but he would go to school. But it wasn't his thing. He'd watch guys with briefcases, and they'd be doing their thing. And he just knew as a kid, that's not for me. I can't do that. He didn't know what he was going to do, but he just knew he wasn't going to do that. And so what he would do is in, in high school, he found his own tribe in, the, in uh, Ken Robinson's book, Elements, he talks about you got to find your own tribe. You need to hang out with at least a few people that believe like you do. Otherwise, you, you think you're a complete maniac. You know what I mean? Uh, Sadhguru says that all of us live at an acceptable societal, acceptable societal level of our own insanity. So it's good to have a tribe that sort of shares your own insanity, if you know what I mean. But I think that's insightful because, it, you know, many times we feel like, oh, I, can't, I can't do this thing. So anyway, Matt Groening... As a kid, knew that he wasn't going to go to high school and then college and get his credential and then follow what he was watching in the world. But he always, he always enjoyed storytelling and making up different tales. And, and as a kid, uh, when he was going through school, what he would do on, a, on his weekends, he and his buddies would go make films. And then on the Friday night football games, when all the guys were at the football game, he and his buddies were at the university watching these underground films that had been made. But they were called to that. That's what they loved. So he didn't know what he was going to do, and he said, you know what, I've got to follow this. He would go to art school in high school. He'd go to art class in high school, and he was going through so much paper so fast, the teacher finally said, stop, because they, you know, one kid, one piece of paper for whatever the class length is, 45, 50 minutes, was good for one. He'd go through 30 sheets, just drawing cartoons, drawing cartoons, drawing cartoons. He was inspired a lot by John Lennon and a few of the other, what we would consider not great cartoonists, but they actually were with their message. So he was inspired by this, and he knew he was going to follow it, but he said, you know, I never thought it was going to work out. I never thought I'd be successful. He said, I figured I'd be drawing my whole life, drawing cartoons, making up stories, and working at a tire warehouse. That was what he, that was what he so talk about setting a, a high standard for oneself. But he just, he figured, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm called to do, and it's probably not going to happen, probably not going to be a success. So anyway, he finally moved to Los Angeles, and he started writing for the LA Weekly which is sort of like C Magazine here. You know, it tells you coming events and a few articles and all that. And he started doing a, a cartoon there called Living in Hell. It became very popular. All of a sudden, somebody from Fox Broadcasting saw it, and they called him and said, hey, we'd like, we're, we're doing this new show with Tracy Ullman, and we would like a cartoonist to come and do the cartoons for the show. And he said, yeah, I'm not doing much. So he went over and he started doing this work. And then the guys at Fox were pretty impressed with him because he was so creative and insightful and sort of ahead of his time in terms of what he was creating. And they said, come on in, we want to hear what your idea is for a show or a program. And he said, I had no idea what I was going to talk about when I got in the room. But he goes in 
And he said, all of a sudden, this story shows up, because he'd been spending his whole life doing this thing. And he pitches a show that I think a few of you have heard about. It's called The Simpsons. So it's been on, I don't know. How, Simpsons still on, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think Homer's got his own religion now, as a matter of fact. But, but, it's, but it's an interesting story. If here's someone that just followed that intuitive path, said, you know what, there's no... There's no um, uh, there's no, probably no reward in this, but I got to do it. I got to do it. That's just Audrey. She just uh, needs a drink. <laughs> but isn't it fascinating? I mean, here's, here's a story. And, and Ken Robinson's book's full of this stuff because he said, you know, when education started, really got... F- it got formalized, uh, you know, in the early 19th century. It was really designed to create really good employees, people that could tell time a bit, could read a little bit, could work at an assembly line and get the product done. It was really geared towards that. And so this idea, I got special gifts. I should, no, you don't. You're going to stand here and do this, was the whole idea. But that was, you know, that's why it's been such a popular and, and sort of limiting idea. I have a wonderful story I want to tell you about another example of this about, see, because we, we have to make welcome this presence. We have, to, we have to also live not only in our intellect, but also in our intuition, that you know this is my path or it's not my path, and have the courage, despite people around you, the dark gods that say, you can't, you can't get into Harvard Law. Who are you to think you're special? So anyway, my friend, Reverend Dr. Maureen Hoyt, between her and, and David Leonard, Reverend David Leonard, I just spent a week with him at Circle of Love. Uh, probably the two people that kept me on this path, because for a long time I thought, I don't know about these people. I don't know if, I'm, I don't know if this is my tribe or not, but there were enough people that I found in the tribe to, to say, okay, this will work. But she, was, she told me the story of, of uh, Reverend Dr. Maureen has a granddaughter named Sydney, <clears throat> and Sydney calls her Momo. So Grandma's name is Momo. And they were at the swimming pool one day. And Sydney's standing on the side. She says, Momo, what, what's your wish? What's your wish? And uh, Maureen says, well, you know, I'd like to feel better. I'd like to have more energy, you know, and, and be healthier. And so Sydney, without hesitation, dives into the pool. And she comes back up about, I don't know, five seconds, eight seconds later. And she says, your wish is granted. Maureen says, thank you. And so Sydney gets out of the pool and says, now, Momo, do you have any other wishes? He says, well, you know, I could use extra money. I could use a little ca- more money this month or, you know, increase in income, increase my inflow. She dives back in. She comes back up and says, your wish is granted. So she says, Sydney, what are you doing? And uh, she says, mom, like, let me ask my mom first. She says, mom, What's your wish? Because mom was sitting there too. And she says, well, I got a traffic ticket. I got to go to court on Monday and I'd like that thing exonerated. I don't want to have to pay anything. I'd like to be free and clear of that. So Sydney dives into the pool and she comes back up and she says, mom, I talked to God and God says, you're on your own on this one. (laughs) But she says, what are you doing? And she said, I'm going down and I'm diving in and I'm reading my God book. And she said, everybody's got a God book. Everybody, you can dive in and you can open up the pages and look and, and, and get your answer, which is exactly what Tom McKeeves, the practice that we talked about last week was this idea of having inner, inspired inner dialogue, that there's a place that we can go within ourselves and ask the questions, ask some, some important questions. What's up with this? What am I doing? And there will be a, there'll be a conversation that can be had there. 
Did anybody practice that this week? Leslie, did you get any, what, did you, what was your answer? Interesting answer, was it? Yeah. Can you share any more than that? I'll, I'll pay you $10. <laughs> okay, so I won't use you as an example, but we'll talk later, okay? Um, but at the first service, I asked somebody, and they said, well, what I got was a bunch of fear and anger. And she said, and, and she said the message also was to stay with the fear and anger. Because what Ernest Holmes talked about, and all the great teachers talked about, is we must look at a thing long enough until it no longer has power over us. That we're not the fear, we're not the anger. I mean, that's what the great visionaries that have lived a life have been able to do, is they, they hold fast to the vision despite the environment, despite what people are telling them. The dark gods, you'll never make it, you can't get there. And so... And she said the other thing about it was for her is that as she worked with it and stayed with it this week, she said that, the, that a, a sense of love started to arise up in her. And I thought, what a beautiful thing. Was that kind of your story or you weren't going to share? Yeah, Leslie's nodding. Okay, good. All right, awesome. So you did share your story. You just I get to use somebody else's story. We got enough. Thank you. No, I, we really do. I just need one. Thank you. All right. So this whole idea, the Buddha said to be happy. Be happy for no reason like a child. Be happy for no good reason like a child. If you're happy for a reason, you're in trouble because the reason can be taken away from you. To make a decision to just get up and be happy despite the conditions, despite what's going on. It takes courage to do that. It takes vision, faith, trust. I got back from the circle of love, came home. We had a family Dinner, lovely, and the next morning I got up because we had this fourplex across the street. I never tell my fourplex story, but I'm telling it today. So we bought this fourplex in 2009. We put a new boiler in in 2009. I have been over there at least 500 times to reset the boiler since we purchased it. I bet you in this last year I've been there 150 to 200 times. So I'm on Quadra Island at Circle of Love, and every three hours I'm getting texts from the four tenants that there's no hot water and there's no heat. So I'm calling plumbers and, and trying to get this thing. So I was told when I got back, I needed to tear out an interior wall so there's more air for the boiler and that will solve it. So Mark Coleman, I, and great guy, he was here at the first service, and I went over at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. We tore out the interior wall to open, give it more air. I put away all the tools. I'm a recovering carpenter, so <laughs> put away all the tools. An hour later, I get a text. There's no hot water, no uh, heat. So I tell you, it's been a spiritual practice for me. And I don't think God wants me doing this anymore is the message I'm getting. But the point is, is that stuff like that happens in life. And you've got to deal with it. And I get to determine how I'm going to deal with it. And I was so grateful for Mark to help me and get it. And we're further along. And we've got some people trying to figure it all out and all that. But I'll tell you, man, there were times when I was getting those repeated texts that I just... <laughs> There were other things, and okay, I'm on it, and we'll take care of it, I'm very sorry. Other things that I wanted to text backs after a while because I was getting a little annoyed. But this is life. And to be able to, to, to manage it and to, and to move forward and do what you can do. What I know right now is I've done everything I can possibly do. And I have to, then I have to turn it over. And I know the right people show up in the right situations. But whatever is at the core of this, I'm open and available to understand. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't be landlords anymore. But it's been, it's been a great practice. You know, I've never shared that before. We go to the AGM and people want to know how we're doing with the fourplex. 
Well, you don't know how many times at 2 in the morning I've gotten a text and get dressed in the middle of winter. Anybody had to get dressed in the middle of winter, in the middle of the night, and go and push a button and then go home and get back to sleep? Done it many times. So I'm ready to give that practice up. If anybody would like to volunteer for that, let me know. I'll talk to you afterwards. But these things happen in life. Life happens. And it's not so much what happens, it's how we deal with it. You know, and how we deal with it. You step into it and you take responsibility. You do what you can. Once you've done what you can do, make peace with it. And they've been great over there. I mean, the tenants have been great. They know that we, we care and we don't want to inconvenience them. You know, uh, Marcia Sutton. I'm gonna, Laura and I are going this week to, to spend time with Marcia Sutton, who's done some of the most profound and deep work in this movement ever in religious science. They, she stepped out of pulpit ministry 25 years ago and has been working with the materials and taking Dr. Holmes' work at a deeper level of spirituality. In 1999, we were at a conference. I was at one of my first minister conferences. It was in Vancouver. And Marcia was up teaching. And Marcia's all about the availability of spirit. She's all about the mystic. She's a mystic. She understands that, that you know, we live in this world, but there's another, there's another intelligence informing us. And she got up one day and she was teaching all the ministers there at the conference and she said, you know, at some point in time with this teaching and on the spiritual path, you are brought to your knees. And one of our renowned elderly ministers was in about the, about the third row listening to her. And he says, excuse me, I am a religious science minister and I never go to my knees. And a hush fell over the pool room as they say. And, and Marcia said, oh, excuse me, I must have misspoke. She said, I didn't say we go to our knees. She said, we are brought to our knees. And if you haven't been brought to your knees yet by life, you're probably in the wrong room with the wrong group of people. Now, she said it very lovely because Marcia can only express lovely. But the movement and the shift that's going on on the planet, I think, is reflected also in our teaching. We've, done as, we've gone as far as we can with our mentalities, with another good idea. And good ideas are important. But if they're not grounded in what is seeking to express through us, there's an emptiness to it. It's not sustainable. So there's got to be a grace involved with that which we're doing, I think, for it to be rich and as potent and as powerful as possible. And that's what Marcia was speaking of. And she said that, and about a third of the room got up and left. But it's that idea of understanding, yeah, I've got to bring myself, my willpower to this. Like the story of the boiler over there. I'm going to do everything I can, and then once I'm done with that, I'm fulfilled. I have no regrets I've done everything I possibly can, and now there's something else that wants to happen. But I could be screaming and hollering and, and puling and whining and all the things. It's like, hey, I did what I can do. I got other more interesting things to do. But is that, so it's, and this idea that once we step into that surrender or that oneness, you know, at Easter I talked about that, the three temptations of Jesus. The, the first one was turn the, turn the rocks into to bread for yourself. And he wouldn't do it. It's all metaphor, by the way, but it, because that was willpower. He said, not my will, but thy will. There's a greater life that is seeking express thy will. And then he said, well, why don't you just throw yourself off the cliff there and, and, we'll, and the angels will save you and you'll be famous. And he had to think that one over. And, he said, and that's that temptation of celebrity. Celebrity is such a popular, popular idea. We see it, in, see it everywhere we look. Look at the reality shows that are on now. People have done nothing, but they're famous. Doesn't matter what you're famous for, I'm just famous. Comes a way of life. Wow. I have never watched an episode of the Kardashians, I want you to know, to this day. But the point, they're famous. You guys know the name. And then the last one, of course, was that, that um, uh, was all about greed. You can have it all. 
aberrant greed. But without a grace upon it and without some, some collaboration and co-creation to not only serve oneself but to serve one another, it's empty. We're not just here to grab everything we can possibly get our hands on. It's great having stuff. I'm all for stuff. But that's not the activity. If it's missing the grace, if it's missing that generosity of spirit, it's, it's not sustainable. There's got to be that sense of, of, of community and togetherness. Otherwise, Martin Luther King said, we either live together as brothers and sisters or we'll die together as fools. And I don't want to stand in the fool camp the whole time in my willpower, in my longing for celebrity, in, in my longing to hoard that, that, that is so self-defeating. Jesus said, be like little children. There's a great story in... Um, in uh, Elements by Ken Robinson. He said he went to his first uh, pageant. He moved from England to the United States. They were living in Southern California. And his, his young sons were in school there. And he said it's a little different system. But they had the four-year-olds and five-year-olds in the kindergarten get up to do the, the Christmas pageant. And so the three wise men walk in, the four-year-olds. And the first one says, I bring, you know, the, the gifts. The wise men bring the gifts. The, the uh, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so the first kid says, here, I bring gold. And the second one, because the, the, the one that was supposed to say, um, frankincense forgot his line. So the second one said, then I bring myrrh. And then the third kid walks up and says, and Frank sent this. And he hands the box up. <laughs> but the great thing about kids is because kids don't care. I mean, when you're a kid, you don't care. I mean, you learn to care after a while. But as a kid, you're willing to be wrong. You're willing to experiment. You're willing to play in it. And all of a sudden, we get domesticated to the point where, I don't know, that may be a problem. So how do we practice? I love this picture of this little girl. That's a blue and black butterfly. When you go to John of God in Abhijanya, they have these blue and black butterflies that look just like this. And they always say, boy, it's rare when you see them. Remember, ladies, when we were down there? And, and it looks just, that's one of them. We see them every time. Every time. Did you see them this time? Yeah, they always tell you, you're never going to see them. And then we go, and I think they're just making that up, by the way. But, but they're there. But it's so the practice move, is to move beyond time. To move beyond time, the transcendent present moment. To have moments of time in our lives. It can only be a minute. I told somebody the other day, just do a minute, an hour. One minute out of your hour. Shut your eyes, drop, relax your jaw. Shut down the mainframe. Give it a rest. You're burning up the circuits in there. Same thought over and over again most of the time. And relax and make yourself available to this divine presence, this infinite. Jesus said that God lives within. The presence of God is within. And the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. We don't see it. And so it's to have a practice in our lives that will ground us in that. We must believe that that eternal moment, which is what that practice creates, exists. Because the infinite intelligence says whatever you choose, you got. Which is great, isn't it? The problem is so many of us are trapped in these, these old ideas of limitation that the black magicians have said. I mean, somebody's got to be spectacular and, and successful and, and creative and brilliant. And we look at the world and go, well, it's not for me. I'm, I'm doing this. So move into that eternal, invoke its nature, which is love. So whatever puts you into a, a field of love, whatever puts you into a field of love and creates some love is a great starting point. And then we have to release what binds us to time because what binds us to time so strongly is regrets, resentments, and remorse. Regrets, 
Things, we regret things that turn out badly for us. And we've all had that happen. I'm not saying don't deny it, but just don't live there. Resentment. Somebody has done something to us, and then we've got we to revenge it, or we can't do it, or whatever it may be, and we, and we shut down the energy once again. Or remorse. A shame that we feel when something has turned out badly for something, someone else that we were involved with. But those things can... can uh, um, Robinson talks about this. Because what it is is it frees our energy. You know, I mean, the great people on the planet, the great, the great spiritual teachers, the Buddha and the Christ, you know, he said, be in the world but not of the world, which is exactly what he's talking about. Stuff happens. I mean, he's hanging on the cross, as the story goes, and he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know who they are. They're just full of anger and resentment and fear. So anything unlike that, they need to get rid of. And it still goes on today. And we end up crucifying ourselves through self-judgment and resentment and remorse and regret and all these crazy ideas. To have a healthy perspective, to say, you know, if I could do that again, I would do it differently. And get on with life. Don't, become, don't make it a way of life. To move out beyond the, those limitations. So the last slide is a couple kids fishing. There they are, having a good time. And they're playing. We don't play enough. As adults, we don't play enough. There's a whole study by Stuart Brown. You can watch his TED Talk on play. If you go to TED Talk and put in Stuart Brown, S-T-U-R-A-T, he's done study after study about how as adults we gotta play. We gotta have fun. And playing into discovery is another way to do that. They have a study that, you know, every assassin and every serial killer, the one thing they all have in common is children they were never allowed to play. Never learned how to play. Just spun in their own psychotic insanity. And maybe some of them weren't capable of it, but isn't it interesting that play was the one commonality that they, did, that they all shared of not having and experiencing. To remind ourselves that we can fall into the idea of perfectionism. I can't do it until things are right, until everything lines up and then I'll do it. Well, maybe not. The limitations that, that we're born with amazing powers. When we stand up and look at one another and declare, you have love to reveal and share and, and potential to fulfill. You have gifts to share. Every one of us has gifts to share. And to nurture that and to nurture it in another, we're giving life to it in ourselves. Otherwise, we just withhold. I get up every week and, I, and every week I get up and I share everything I got. So about an hour after this, I'm going to sit down and I'll say to Laura, I'm all done. I got to go find a job on Monday morning because I don't have any more. And then the funny thing is, by the time Thursday rolls around, all of a sudden the ideas start downloading again. So I think, thanks God, because I thought I was going to have to go work for UPS or something. Or work for a, a boiler company because I got that down, obviously. <laughs> that this idea that all of our gifts are interrelated, it's a mosaic. We already have within us what we need. And if we take time to listen, and then take action to move forward. It's all we need to do. It builds a momentum. It starts to create a momentum around it. It's, it's amazing. And then all of a sudden, as you start living and being it, the right people start, start showing up. Your tribe starts showing up. There's Matt Groening going through paper so fast the teachers are like, stop! He's like, man, I just want to tell stories. I just want to draw cartoons. I mean, everybody knows about The Simpsons. It's probably on every country in the world. And here's this kid that just said... I hope I can keep drawing and work in a tire warehouse one day. And we don't understand our capacity for growth and potential. 
I, I, I'm with you with that. I mean, I'm, I'm still in that discovery about growth and, and potential. We don't understand it. But if we don't welcome it and, and nurture it in some capacity, it just, it gets wasted. It goes on the, the scrap heap of life that no one else can ever do it. No one else is going to pick that up for, for you. And so it's our opportunity to, to fill, fulfill that in some capacity. And so playing in it and entertaining it and welcoming it and believing it's for me, not for other people, but for me, and being true to that is such a powerful, powerful experience. So next week, we're going to talk about living in the discovery and how we can expand this even more, this, this process of creativity, because we're here to create. We're here to be a blessing to the world. We are here to live, not to, to worship the Christ, but to live from our own Christed nature, from our Buddha nature. And there are more people on this planet right now with more light to share than ever before. I know that, despite what it looks like. It's happening. It's happening. And when you and I step up and participate in it in a little more proactive way, it blesses us all. So thanks for your blessings. I'll see you guys next week. And so it is.